Business success requires thinking beyond today. That's why ADP uses data-driven insights to design HR solutions to help your business have more success tomorrow. ADP, always designing for HR, talent, time, benefits, payroll, and people. Better managers create better workplaces when they know how to make meaningful connections with their staff. And you can learn how to do that with SHRM's People Manager Qualification, or PMQ, a self-paced course that's educational, entertaining, and gives you the skills you need to say and do the right things for your team. Develops to help managers obtain leadership skills for success in their roles of managing people. Learn more about the PMQ by following the click-through you see in the show notes. Welcome to Honest HR, the podcast for HR professionals, people managers, and team leads intent on growing our companies for the better. We bring you honest, forward-thinking conversations and relatable stories from the workplace that challenge the way it's always been done. Because after all, you have to push back to move forward. Honest HR is a podcast from SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. And by listening, you're helping create better workplaces, and a better world. I'm Wendy Fong. I'm Amber Clayton. And I'm Monique Akadbi. Now, now, let's, get, let's honest. get honest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Amber Clayton, Senior Director of SHRM's Knowledge Center Operations. On our episode today, we're going to discuss the technical competency, HR expertise, employee and labor relations. This podcast is approved to provide recertification PDCs, but only if you listen to the full episode. I think I can say that most employers have had to deal with absenteeism at one time or another in their career. It can be so frustrating when you have an employee who decides not to show up for work or they call, they have a tendency to call out on uh, Fridays, on the weekends, giving themselves a long holiday weekend. Uh, you know, I can I can actually visualize many of you listening right now in your car nodding your head up and down. Uh, well, hold on, because we're going to talk about some of those um, employers' experiences and how you can deal with them. I am pleased to be joined today by my colleagues from the Knowledge Center, Julie Schweber, Senior Knowledge Advisor, and Barb Holland, Knowledge Advisor. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Amber. Hi. Thank you for coming. So some of you may know Julie and Barb, if you're a SHRM member and you've called to the Knowledge Center before the Ask an Advisor service, but I want to give them a chance to tell you more about them themselves. So Julie, let's start with you. Please share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Sure. I'm Julie Schweber, and I'm one of the senior knowledge advisors here in the Knowledge Center. And I've worked at SHRM for four and a half years now. Prior to that, I worked for uh, 20 years in HR as a practitioner in both Fortune 500 organizations as well as nonprofits. And I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, Julie. And Barb? Um, as you heard, my name is Barbara Holland. I've been a knowledge advisor for the last four and a half years with SHRM, and I've been in HR for over 35 years in nonprofit global, and uh, most of it in California, which for our multi-state employers, I know that you love my state. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and I'm shaking my head no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. We love California. All right. So now that our listeners have gotten to know a little bit more about you, let's go ahead and jump right in. We know that absenteeism can be a huge headache for managers and HR. 
Could you share what types of questions or scenarios that you've received in the Knowledge Center around absenteeism? All right. Well, I'll jump jump start on this one. Um, the employee brings in a doctor's note every time they're absent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Another one is um, employees who call in for a day or two and they just don't show up. Oh, yeah. I've had some of those. Mm-hmm. What about those employees? I was just going to mention the employees with the pattern of calling out on the weekends. Those, you know that call on Fridays and Mondays and want that long weekend. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How about the new employee and they're still in their probationary or, or introductory period and they already have several absences? Yeah. Yeah. That's an, uh, also when, what do employers do when employees have exhausted their sick leave or PTO and they, they continue to call out or have a need to be gone? Yeah, that's definitely a, a recurring question that we've we've heard in the Knowledge Center. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How about the exempt employees constantly coming in late? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Or a posting on social media. They called in and said they're not going to be there because they're not feeling well, but the social media post looks like they're having a great time and in, 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 in a really fun place. Yeah, I definitely have a story around that one. <laughs> And then we get this one too a lot. Should we have an attendance point system at our Mm. company? Okay. That'd be good to talk about because I know some employers may not know, you know, what those point systems are. So that's, that's a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. And one I've had a little bit more recently is around um, employees calling out because of uh, medicine issues. In other words, mm. the doctor is trying to find the right course and the employee is really having a rough time. And so they can't come into the office due to, um, you know, the medicine regime, regime that they're on. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, quite a few. And this, of course, ooh, is ooh. not a not an all-inclusive list. We know there are many more scenarios out there. But I think, you know, most HR professionals who have had to deal with employees with attendance issues have probably had one of these scenarios or questions in their mind um, at some point during their HR career. So, you know, with that, though, let's, let's talk about what should be done in these types of situations. Um, Julie? Well, I, I guess I'll circle back to, to one of the questions about, you know, bringing in a doctor's note every time they are absent. Um, an employer might, may wish to take a look at, do they have a policy or practice um, that may require a doctor's note? Not necessarily every time, but after a certain period of time, reasonable, say three days or more. And generally, if they're bringing in a doctor's note every time, we want to look at, it. is there a medical reason? Is there a disability? Is it covered under FMLA? So some of that alphabet soup that we call it in HR, that might apply. So we kind of have to look at each case, you know, uniquely and examine all the facts before we kind of can decide, you know, what's the best course of action. Yeah, I think sometimes that employers think that if the employee brings a doctor's note, there's nothing they can do about it. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, you know, employers can have their own uh, policies with respect to absenteeism. And even if someone brings in a note, if it's not protected under any type of federal or state or local leave laws, like the Family and Medical Leave Act that you mentioned, the FMLA or the ADA, the American Disabilities Act, then, you know, potentially uh, they might still have grounds to take disciplinary action, including termination of employment. So, um, but of course, you always want to, you know, make sure that you 
uh, dot your I's and cross your T's <laughs> before doing anything like that, taking any action. But, uh, but I think, you know, just to know that just because someone has a doctor's note doesn't necessarily mean that's going to cover them, you know, and, and protect their jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I often used to say the doctor's note might give me an idea that you're being from Southern California, you're not at the beach playing. You may have a legitimate <laughs> reason that you're gone, but it still could be excessive absenteeism and it can still have a negative impact on the organization. So it may not be that the employer is questioning that they're gone, but it could still be, um, excessive and, as you said, disciplinary action could be taken. Yeah, and let's let's talk about this for a moment because I had this scenario a long time ago in a previous position where I had a gentleman who brought a doctor's note in and it looked awfully familiar, and I realized that the writing was very similar to a previous doctor's note that he had. Um, so I know that we've had some members who have asked us, can they call a doctor or a doctor's office? Can they verify that the doctor's note is valid? Yes, um, they can call the doctor's office and ask, you know, I have a note, you know, it's indicated from your office or this doctor has sent this note on behalf of this employee. Was this note written by your your, you know, the doctor, they can ask that they can't ask, you know, what it was for, you can't get into diagnosis information, but you can ask if it's a legitimate note produced by the doctor's office. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point about asking for more information because most doctor's offices aren't going to be able to give it anyhow unless the employee has signed off to allow the employer to get that information. So, um, Julie, what's your, what's your take on that? Do you have a different experience? You know, I would ditto um, exactly what you both said. And, you know, you want to be careful, exercise caution and and have some type of uh, rationale or consistent application. Are are we only picking on someone um, due to what could potentially be a discriminatory reason? Or are we doing this for anyone in a similar situation? So you want to have your business case or your rationale for, for doing it. So you don't get in, in, you know, any type of perception of unfairness or discrimination. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you about that one particular scenario that I mentioned or where the handwriting was exactly the same. I actually put the two notes up to the light. <laughs> and sure enough, it was the same exact writing, except for the date had changed. <laughs> and so at the time, I did, in fact, contact that person's um, physician to find out whether or not they had Ooh. written the note and they had not. So um, we did, in fact, take uh, disciplinary action on the individual as a result of it. But uh, but yeah, that was that was interesting one because had I not noticed that the handwriting was the same, they would have gotten away with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, tricky, tricky, sneaky, sneaky, right? Right. Yeah, that's a good one too. You know, and a lot of employers might have some language in their their policies, you know, about doctor's notes or even in their conduct about, hey, any type of, you know, falsification or, you know, misrepresented facts or notes may result in disciplinary action. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like you're tag teaming it with not only your sick policy or your doctor's note, but also in your conduct policy. And I will, and I'll say that's an important piece, that code of conduct policy. I've had quite a few calls where members do not have a code of conduct. And mm-hmm. when all of a sudden they're facing where somebody has falsified the record or they're not giving, they're not being truthful and they don't have something to reference that that could be a disciplinary action. So attendance policies are important, but also because of that scenario, if I have a note that's not 
that's not from the doctor, now not only do I have an attendance issue, but I do have a falsified record. And I want to be able to address that. So it's important to make sure, look at your code of conduct policy. And do you have information in there that that's referencing lying or honesty or ethics or, you know, unprofessional behavior, all the types of things that might be in a code of conduct policy? Yeah. And and it's not to say that if an employer doesn't have a code of conduct policy or they don't have an attendance policy, it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't take any action at all. I mean, certainly they can create one. They can Mm -hmm. still take action if, for example, the employee is in an at-will employment state, which we know all states in the U.S. except for Montana, right, are at will, which basically indicates that employers can, uh, employers and employees can terminate the relationship at any time without notice, without reason. I mean, obviously, you don't want to have any reason that's illegal, um, like discrimination, as you mentioned, Julie, but just because they don't have a policy doesn't necessarily mean they can't do anything. But it's always a good practice to have policies in place. Yes. So, uh, talk about the the no show no calls. I mean, I gosh, so many times we've had members who have contacted us about no show no calls, and I know I've had to deal with this in my employment history before. I can remember a particular one, actually two, where the employees didn't show up from work, and it was really uncharacteristic of them, and I was very concerned. I was worried, and you know, one of them I ended up calling. Uh, his emergency contact, which happened to be his ex-wife, unbeknownst to me. Um, And so when he learned that I called his ex-wife, he was extremely upset with me for contacting her. But I was was very concerned. Um, There was another gentleman who also, you know, didn't come in, didn't call. We were very concerned, had someone go and do a welfare check and, you know, and he was fine. He just decided not to come to work. Um, You know, it just these scenarios happen. So tell, talk to me about the, the no show, no calls. Yeah. You know, back to your point, it, it happens and it happens um, quite frequently. And a lot of times an employer might um, have genuine concern. And a lot of times, you know, you want to look, is it a pattern? Is it uncharacteristic? Or was this someone that was not performing or meeting a company's expectations anyway? Because that kind of can help, you know, make a decision, gee, is this is really out of character? Do we want to call the local authorities to go by and do that welfare check? The other thing is, too, you know, if it's someone that, you know, really, maybe they got hit by a truck and they're in the hospital in a coma. So it's a delicate situation where you don't want to take any type of adverse or knee-jerk reaction right away. You you want to give um, a chance if there are extenuating circumstances. A lot of companies um, will reach out, like you say, to either the emergency contact or try to reach out directly to the employee. Some employers have what's called that job abandonment policy, where if someone fails to call or fails to show up for, you know, a certain number of days, say three days, then they consider that to be a voluntary resignation. Um, And a lot of times if you're reaching out and maybe sending a letter to an employee's address or to an email, it'll say if there are extenuating circumstances, please reach out to us right away. Um, because You know, we're, we're genuinely concerned about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was another incident where um, we learned, unfortunately, that an employee had passed away when they had mm-hmm. not come into work. And so 
you know, I, I appreciate what you said about the knee jerk reactions, Julie, because I think sometimes we're, you know, as employers, sometimes we're like, you know, they didn't come in, we were short staffed, it created all this, you know, mess for us, but then they don't realize that something has happened to that individual. And so um, I, I think that goes back to being empathetic for our employees as well, because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, especially in nowadays with mental health issues and, and individual struggles personally, financially, uh, mentally, you just don't want to make any assumptions that somebody has just, you know, decided that they're going to take a vacation and not tell the employer. Mm-hmm. I think uh, most employees appreciate that because if something is wrong, I mean, it, typically if you have somebody who comes to work and that's out of character, something might be wrong and you may be the one phone call that gets them the help that they need. So I think most employees appreciate that. The ones who don't like it are the ones who actually get caught, as you mentioned, (laughs) by doing something they probably shouldn't have been doing. But one of the ways that I used to address this was during the orientation, because I always spoke to our attendance policy. So people understood what were the expectations. And I also informed people that if you don't show up or call in in a timely manner, we may call your emergency contact person to make sure you're okay so that they were aware this might happen. So if they get upset because we did, they did have advance notice that this was a this was a practice of the organization because we actually care about you. You know, I've also heard of situations too where employees have actually been arrested. Obviously, they weren't able to come to work. So, uh, you know, in those circumstances, uh, many employers may not be aware, but states have, you know, laws with respect to arrest and convictions and employment decisions. So if an employer were to terminate someone and there happened to be, you know, a state law that doesn't allow employers to terminate on the basis of an arrest alone, that could potentially be an issue for the employer. And so, uh, you know, if that's another thing that could potentially happen if somebody's out of out of work and why you want to you know look into it before you take any kind of adverse action mm-hmm. I think I'd add one more thing to that and you know in terms of a job abandonment but don't wait too long I mean investigate what you need to know I've we've had calls where somebody was gone for five days or two weeks and they're now asking what to do wow and and that I mean that's a really long period of time. And if your policy says we consider it job abandonment after three days, well, what's the justification for giving seven more days past your policy? Because now mm-hmm. you've actually violated your own policy. So pay attention to your policy and do your investigations as quickly as you can. If you don't have information, you can't find it. You have a three-day policy, for example. Send that letter out with the if you have extenuating circumstances, and then the employer can address that. But waiting and waiting and waiting can cause other issues. Absolutely. And if you're violating your own policy, who's to say that you're not going to violate other policies? I mean, that's that's something that a lawyer could, you know, look at and say, well, you, you know, let John Smith go here two weeks without being at work, but then you, you know, terminated Cindy over here. And now it looks like you're being discriminatory because Cindy's a female and she had this issue, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, you, you want to make sure that you comply with your own policies and practices. Right. Mm-hmm. Good point. So let's talk about the uh, the employee that has exhausted their paid leave but continues to call out. Because I feel like that's just one that we get quite often. You know, some employers, you know, believe that, you know, once they've exhausted their vacation, their sick time, their PTO, then they're not allowed to call it anymore, which could very well be the company's policy. Mm-hmm. 
then, you know, the question is, well, how do I deal with it if somebody still continues to call out and they've exhausted everything? Right. Yeah. And, and this is a tough one, very common one. And, it, you know, it's never an easy situation. But, you know, generally the employer wants to look at the circumstances behind those absences to determine if it is any type of medical protected or disability related leave that may fall under the Family Medical Leave Act or the Americans with Disabilities Act, or even uh, many states today may offer some type of protected leave or sick leave. So again, you don't want to take that knee-jerk reaction as an employer, but, but examine those circumstances because there can be protected leave that is protected by various regulations, even if they have exhausted. Not saying it has to be paid, it might be unpaid leave. So um, that's something that an employer wants to, you know, really look at what's going on with that employee. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think your reference to the ADA, I think is real important. I find a lot of uh, that's not the common thought when somebody's calling out sick. It's really, I'm, you know, wanting to deal with, I need them here. And so it's kind of the focus is disciplinary which it might, that may be appropriate. But if there are other medical issues going on, that ADA process, you know, asking the questions, engaging in that interactive process to find out what is happening and would a leave be necessary? And if so, could the organization accommodate a leave? Um, so I think it's real important to think, you know, look at all of the reasons. Not only is there a pattern, but also what, you know, what are the reasons for the absences um, even when they were legit, if somebody calls out sick and they tell you why they're out, mm-hmm. you know, if you see a pattern and it does appear to be a medically re- medical related situation, you don't have to wait till they run out of sick leave to address it. You can address it right away and say, hey, you know, there may be protections under ADA, even while they still have um, paid leave available to them. Yeah, that's that's good advice. So let's talk about the new employee. And I, I find this interesting because my 18-year-old daughter just got a job recently and she was told that if she calls out one time within the first 30 days of employment, she will not have a job. If she calls out twice within a 90-day period, the first 90-day period, she will not have a job. So I thought, wow, they must not keep a lot of employees, but <laughs> but maybe they do. They're very strict um, uh, compared to some employers that I've heard of. Um, but but talk about that, you know, where someone comes in, they're new, and then all of a sudden they start asking for time off. Things that you didn't even know about when you interviewed that person. They didn't share it before they were hired or after they were hired. They just, you know, started to call out. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, it, it almost goes back to the previous question. Um, you know, is it because their car broke down or, you know, their TV broke or, you know, something that's would not be protected leaves as it would might be under ADA or any state specific leave. Um, some of those states have leave that may be available right away. So I would, you know, caution an employer until they know, you know, the full details and the circumstances, even with a, with a new person to find out some of those reasons behind it. I can, and I think we have to be, you have to recognize that somebody could be legitimately sick. I remember starting a job when I was in college, I was a bank teller and I got horribly sick 
like day two of my job and I had, and I wasn't going to go in. I was, I had a fever. I was, I was not doing well. And I called and I was like, I'm so sorry. I have never done this. I have, I have a track record of rarely calling out, but I was very sick. And um, so I think you have to be, there needs to be a little bit of understanding, you know, especially now after COVID people are more aware of, we don't want people come into the workplace bringing in illnesses and getting others sick. So there, there needs to be a, you know, is there a pattern here? Is there a legitimate um, need for this person? Now, if they're asking for time, you know, that you can say no, but I would also pay attention that probationary period isn't a, it's not um, kind of encapsulated in, I can do whatever I want to this employee in the probationary period. <laughs> yes. Probationary periods are just an area, like if you had a perfect person on a performance improvement plan, you're just watching their employment during a certain period of time. It doesn't mean that I get to be more mean or lenient during this time. I just, I'm watching. And as I'm watching, I might see something and I might raise it and I might give advice on how they're going to be successful beyond this period that I'm watching. But in a probationary period doesn't give you the right to just go, okay, you're kind of to Amber, your daughter's situation. Oh, well, you're in probation, you're gone. That's, that's not a good practice. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought that up about the probationary period, because we've talked about this before, how, you know, uh, probationary period makes it sound as if once you're past that time, you're good to go. You, you're not going to get fired. You're, you have employment permanently. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we encourage instead to use initial review period or orientation period. Um, that's not to say that an employer can't use probationary period. However, I think there could be some challenges there if something were to happen to an individual and they said, well, I made it past my probationary period. So I don't know why I got fired. Um, so it can kind of go both ways, you know, with the employer and how they treat the employee, but also to, you know, what the employee's perspective is on, you know, the probationary period and whether or not they, you know, get past it. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up, Barb. So let's let's talk about the social media. I love this because, well, I don't love it, but I will tell you, it reminds me. I walked into work one time and someone came into my office and said, are you going to fire so-and-so? And I said, why would I do that? Well, she called out this week and I saw her at the salon. She's getting her nails done and it was on Facebook. <laughs> and I was like, what? Um, so I'll never forget that. That was a really interesting one because I actually had a couple of people approach me saying, are you going to let her go? Uh, because they knew that it was wrong of what she was doing. And she was in fact out and she was basically at the spa having a wonderful day. And, you know, mm-hmm. she very well could have said that she was sick and needed the spa treatments and the nails done. <laughs> Maybe that would help her feel better. I don't know. But but talk to me about social media and how we uh, respond to this question when the members call and say, you know, my employee's supposed to be out on leave, you know, sick leave, and I see them online and they're in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a tough one. And, you know, it, it, you know, look at the facts and, and are you trolling everybody's social media when they call out or are we singling out one employee? Um, you know, there are circumstances if someone is on a protected FMLA leave, for example, um, they may still be able to travel or go somewhere to relax that, you know, could have been doctor's orders. So I, I, I probably wouldn't have a knee-jerk reaction, but look at, is this a pattern? Does the person call out excessively? May, maybe 
you engage in a conversation with that employee when they return and give them an opportunity to, uh, to you know, to speak. There, there may be a legitimate explanation. Who knows? That, that's my take. I, I need that doctor. Yeah, I need that doctor to tell me that I need to get my nails done and I need a spa day just to recoup and recover from whatever <laughs> illness I have. <laughs> those um those are their mental health days in some organizations and you know sometimes they just need a day to to take a take a break that's right um yeah i've actually had employees call in and say i'm i'm just i'm stressed and i just need a day for myself is that okay and our policy was you could and so you know i think julie's advice is that you know find out what's going on don't just don't react. Um, I think where we see a lot of this is with the FMLA, where somebody may do something and um, it ends up in a lawsuit and an employer um, loses because they didn't take the time to find out what was going on, you know, and, and asking the right questions. So, you know, do your research, do your investigation, ask what's going on before you assume that the person um, is, you know, ill will and trying to just take extra time. Well, I think too, it, it comes down to communication and trust. You know, if they're lying about the reasons why they're leaving and then you find out otherwise, of course it's going to be an issue. But if you have a good relationship with your, uh, with you and your, in your employee, you know, hopefully they'll, you know, tell you the reasons why they want to take off. You know, they won't be um, afraid to ask off or, you know, if they're concerned that the employer won't allow them a time off, um, you know, hopefully there could be a, co- a communication or, you know, some type of conversation between the two of them. But I think it's when people lie is mm-hmm. is when the, it becomes a, a bigger issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, too. And, you know, and, and this is why I think PTO programs have become so popular, because you could say, I need a mental health day. I'm going to take this day as a PTO day. Often folks can plan out those scheduled mental health days um, or vacation days or, you know, of course, the call outs just for, you know, legitimate reasons like being sick. Um, but, you know, some employers have, have swung to PTO as opposed to vacation sick because if you never call out sick and then you've got, you know, a bucket of sick days that may not carry over it kind of may incent employees to call out versus having a bucket of PTO sometimes where you can use it for any and everything. And you may be more inclined to um, use it without having to make a false excuse for calling out. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about exempt employees. I, I love this because I know we've had this question multiple times from members around exempt employees and whether or not you can hold them accountable to working a set schedule. And what if those exempt employees come in late, they leave early, they call out, what can be done? And we're not talking from the pay perspective because I think that's a different podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> when we talk about exempt pay. But let's let's talk about, and I should say for our listeners, exempt meaning that these individuals are not eligible for overtime. Uh, they are typically paid on a salary basis and they have a, um, a minimum salary requirements under the law. So uh, when we talk about exempt employees and their attendance, those are the individuals that I'm speaking of. So uh, you know, Barb, tell me about the exempt employee. Can they just do whatever they want, come and go as they please? 
Some think they can, <laughs> and some employers wonder what they can do. Um, and um, absolutely, employers have the ability to um, set schedules, um, hold people to those schedules. So if I, as an exempt employee, need to be at work at, you know, promptly at nine o'clock and I show up, you know, I wander in with my coffee and donut in hand at 930, I could be disciplined for it. Might as you mentioned, the pay podcast is something else. You're not going to be able to affect my pay, but you can discipline me for not being there. It's a reliability issue. So you can hold uh, exempt staff to schedules. You can even hold them to, you know, uh, schedules that might say, "I need I need an, my exempt staff to work 45 hours a week." The employer has that ability to designate what those hours look like. Um, and then when an employee doesn't, when an exempt employee doesn't follow that, then that's where the disciplinary um, process could come into play. Yeah, I think that employers would be, some employers would be surprised to know that exempt employees can be required to punch in and out on a clock. Uh, you obviously want to be careful about not treating exempt employees like hourly non-exempt employees. However, employers can still track their time using timesheets, time clocks, same thing as uh, non-exempt hourly employees. It's actually a very common practice in where in my nonprofit world because we used to um, we used to bill grants based on the hours that were put in and you know like attorneys have to track their time to the client account and so exempt staff can be required to do that based on projects you know employer might want to know how much time is being spent on various projects so again you can you can track the time it just can't roll into a pay uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said, Barb. So let's talk about, and this is kind of like the doctor's note, but the change in medicine and when the change in medicine occurs and people start to, you know, call out more frequently. Uh, talk a little bit about that and what employers can do. Yeah, that that that's a that's a tough one also. These are all kind of tough questions. <laughs> I was gonna say, Julie, I think you said every one of these is tough. <laughs> Dealing with attendance issues is never easy. Nobody ever wants to have those conversations with people. Right, exactly. But, you know, a change in medicine, hello, you're dealing with a medical condition of some sort or a potential disability. So when employees have those medicines changed, they can impact somebody's ability to perform a job. It may take some acclimation period to get adjusted to it. So there could be some, you know, growing pains as they work with their doctor to figure out just the right dose or just the right type of medicine. So that very well could be a protected type of situation, whether it's um, leave or intermittent leave under the FMLA or protected under ADA as a potential disability. It doesn't mean, though, that you can't address it. And I think that's what sometimes the members feel like. The employee comes in and says, oh, I've had my medicine changed and it's causing me to oversleep and they're showing up an hour late. Mm -hmm. And that very well may be what's happening. But the employer still can ask for, you know, uh, the physician certification under ADA to say, what are some of, you know, what what kind of accommodation do we need to make? And the physician may come back, let this person have a, you know, a more flexible start time or allow them to start a little bit later while they're getting adjusted to the medicines. So there, you don't have to just just take the the employee's statement and, you know, be able to act on it. You, you can 
you want to find out what needs to be done. And that's the accommodation piece under ADA. It may just be a short term accommodation. It may be a week or two and everything gets, you know, normalized and they can be back on their normal schedule. And, but it's again, I think earlier you said communication and trust. It's having that conversation in engaging with the employee to see how can you help them. And that also lets them know you're watching and you care. If you don't, if you don't say anything, you don't do anything, they might start to wonder, well, do they even notice that I'm coming in late? <laughs> yep, that is true. That is true. Well, lastly, let's talk about, you just said, Julie, great point, the point system. Let's talk about the point system. We, we've had uh, people who have asked us about, you know, whether or not they can have attendance policies, including this, you know, point system. Can you, Barb, just kind of given a, a brief overview of what the point system means and, and whether or not employers should or maybe should not do it. Sure. So the point system is really, in a sense, it kind of tries to take away HR from having to determine, is this a legitimate absence or not a legitimate absence? And, you know, it's just a very straightforward mathematic. If you're out, it's a point or two points, or if it's if you call out and it was unplanned and you didn't call in at a certain period of time, it's a point system is is assigned to the various types of scenarios where which might indicate you know what kind of a call out you know planned absences, unplanned absences, things like that. The point system, however, there's a negative side to it that that we have to you have to really be careful when you do use a point system was when it comes to FMLA because certain absences can't be counted in a point system and when employers do it can get them into trouble because chip, typically with the point system you may have something that says well then a 12 month period of time if you have x number of points it's going to lead to termination of employment so you it's really important to pay attention to any types of leaves that could be protected and in those protected leaves were points assigned due to the absences, if it was ADA or FMLA or something like that. Did I miss anything on that, Julie, on the point system process? No, I think uh, you hit all the valid points, Barb, on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. (laughs) Such a joker. I love it, Julie. (laughs) Well, we talked about a lot of different scenarios, and I know uh, we've mentioned a few times about the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Family Medical Leave Act, the FMLA, and we didn't go into great detail about that on this call because I feel like that could be a whole other podcast in itself, just like the the exempt compensation. Um, But certainly, uh, you know, for listeners, listeners who are members of SHRM, they can find more resources specific to this topic as well as those uh, types of protected leave. And we actually have a toolkit called Managing Employee Attendance, which has a lot of great information in it. So uh, SHRM members, if you are a SHRM member, if you'd like to become one, uh, visit SHRM.org and you can just contact the Knowledge Center, the Ask an Advisor Service for Assistance at SHRM.org forward slash HR help. So um, Julie and Barb, before we wrap up today, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners about attendance and, and just dealing with these attendance issues that happen very regularly, I should say? <laughs> yeah, I think if I could leave the listeners with one piece of advice is, you know, don't don't feel you need to react so quickly. Examine all the facts and then move forward. Yes. And I would say apply your policies consistently. So whatever your policy is, follow it and follow it from person to person, from scenario to scenario. 
because that you get into trouble when you don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, those are, that's good advice from both of you. So thank you so much, ladies, for being here and taking part in this uh, episode today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Great. And for our listeners, this podcast is approved to provide recertification PDCs, but only if you listen to the full episode. After you've listened, you are eligible to enter this activity ID 23-4FXUQ. Again, that's 23-4FXUQ for recertification PDCs in your SHRM certification portal. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to reach out to me. You could find me at Twitter, on Twitter, at Sherm A. Clayton. And if you'd like to learn more about the Honest HR podcast, about myself or the other host, or to get additional information and resources on what was discussed in today's episode, head on over to sherm.org slash honesthr. And to learn more about other Sherm podcasts, check out sherm.org backslash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Honest HR. Business success requires thinking beyond today. That's why ADP uses data-driven insights to design HR solutions to help your business have more success tomorrow. ADP, always designing for HR, talent, time, benefits, payroll, and people.